Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Welcome to you if you're joining us here at our North City campus, if you're online, our E-Roads family, if you're joining us from Mount Carmel campus, if you're joining us from Carlinville, welcome. My name is Promise Bradley, and I'm honored and humbled to get to share the word of the Lord with you today. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 41. Yes, Jesus, thank you for your word. It is the bread of life. It is a sword of the spirit. It's a weapon in a warrior's hand. Isaiah 41, verse 17. It says, this is the Lord speaking, he says, When the poor and the needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. He did not abandon Rachel. He will not abandon you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he's done for one, he will do for another. Amen. It goes on in verse 18, and it says, I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this, why? So that all who see this miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Let's pray, church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you sent your only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and went to the cross. And on the cross, he took all of our sin, every bad thing we've ever done, every bad thing we've ever thought, every bad thing we've ever said. You took all of our diseases, Jesus, all of our shame, Lord, every curse upon our family line was on you at the cross. And the wrath of God fell and you put it in the grave. But thank you, God that the spirit raised Jesus from the dead and that same spirit you put on the inside of your followers, your believers. So now when I put my faith in you, Jesus, when I surrender my life to you, I say I no longer want control over my life. I give it to the one who is worthy, the king of glory, the one who defeated death, sin, and hell. I give it to you and surrender it to you and you put your Holy Spirit on the inside of me. This river of living water becomes a spring everlasting on the inside of me that saturates me from the inside out Jesus and it saturates me to overflow and I thank you Jesus that every single person that you brought here today whether it's their first time here their first time listening online or they're listening a month from now Jesus that you brought them right where you want them because you are going to meet them today with a river of living water to quench their thirst father keep us hungry for more of you thank you Jesus that your presence is here like a river and we give you glory in Jesus mighty name amen this morning I felt led to share a vision with you that the Lord gave me five years ago in the summer of 2018 
I was at a church conference on the West Coast, and the Lord started giving me a vision. And I knew at the time it was really powerful, but I didn't know how powerful. And this is what happened in the vision. Are you ready? Jesus and I were in the throne room. And Jesus said to me, he said, I want you to come and walk with me in the garden. And so we left the throne room and we started to approach the garden. And from far away, I could see the garden and it was beautiful, church. If you've ever seen the Palace of Versailles in France and the gardens that they have there, it would remind you of that. If you haven't, that's all right, I'm going to explain it. The trees were perfect, pruned to perfection. Have you ever seen a topiary? It's like a tree that's pruned into a shape, like a cone or like spheres. They were all pruned like that. And they were exactly six feet apart. And the grass was exactly this high, and it had those lines. You know those lines that people mow in it? Some of y'all would love it. I know who you are. You've already mowed your lawn this year. That's who I'm talking to, the people that get out that lawn tractor in March. I don't know how you do it, but I'm impressed. You would like it. It was perfect. And um, there, weren't any, there wasn't any fruit on the trees. And there weren't any flowers. And there wasn't any, any, like, bushes or anything like that. No vegetables in this garden. Just perfectly pruned trees. And in the center of the garden, there was a long rectangular pool of water. And if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and you've seen the Lincoln Memorial and they have the, uh, no, it's, well, it is outside the Lincoln Memorial. You can see it from there, but it's the Washington Monument reflecting pool. It looked exactly like that, long and rectangular, filled with water. And we started to get closer to the garden. And as we got closer, I got this really eerie feeling because it was kind of uncanny because I couldn't hear birds singing. And I didn't see any butterflies and I didn't see any squirrels. And I knew in my knower that there was no way that the birds could come and nest in these trees because they were constantly pruned, constantly. And the birds were afraid. There were too many human hands on these trees all the time. And they wouldn't come and nest. And I looked at the pool of water, and there was no fresh water coming into the pool, and there was no fresh water going out of the pool, and so the water had stagnated because it wasn't aerated either. And there were clouds of gnats hovering over the water. And I was so confused. And I looked at Jesus and I said, is this your garden? And he said, just watch. And so I watched. And as I watched, the trees started to bush out and they took on a natural shape. And the grass started to pop up like it does this time of year, all different lengths. It would drive some of y'all crazy. But it started to sprout flowers too and wild vines, and vegetables, and the trees began to be home to all kinds of birds. They came, and they started singing their songs, and there was fruit growing on the trees. And I looked at the pool in the center of the garden, and it had become a river. And this river was flowing from the throne room of God, and it was flowing through this garden. And by the way, we were up on a high plateau. And this river flowed through the garden and out over the edge of the plateau like a waterfall down into the dry valley below. And Jesus turned to me and he said, the river is the living water. It's my presence flowing. He said, the garden is the church. It's you and it's me. And he said, the valley is the lost, dying, dry desert of the world. And he said to me this, he said, 
I am restoring the wild edges. My order is wilder than you think. Life thrives in the wild edges, and I am restoring the wild edges, and the wild edges will invite the lions to appear. And about that time, I looked and I saw lions peeking out from behind the trees, all kinds of lions, male lions, female lions, cubs, and I could hear their thoughts, and they were thinking, is it safe? Is it safe for me to come out and be a lion again? Is this place wild enough for me? Is it a garden made for me? And it was like, yeah, it's wild enough. It's safe enough for me to come and be a lion. And they started to come out from behind these trees. And when they did, their shoulders started to go back. And they were walking towards the river. And their shoulders started to go back. And their heads started to come back. And they came down to this river. And they started to drink. And when they drank, they started to release their roars. And he said, and the lions will come and drink of the river of living water. And the river of living water will flow down to the world below. I just want to reread Isaiah 41 verse 18 that says, I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. This river is the same river that... John the Revelator saw in Revelation 22, this is what he said in verse 1. He said, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Now I want to remind you that in Isaiah 61, that God called you an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And he said their leaves are for the healing of nations. In the original garden, the leaves of the trees were not allowed to grow past a certain point. They couldn't bring healing to the nations. But when God's river flows through the garden, he brings life to the trees. And he begins to flesh them out. And their leaves bring healing to the nations. Jesus is bringing healing to the nations through the river of his presence flowing through his church. This is the same river that, I, that Ezekiel saw in chapter 47 when he said this. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. All kinds, church. It's going to take all kinds of us. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from where? From the sanctuary, the throne room of God. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, three years after I had this vision, I knew it was really powerful, but I'd kind of forgotten about it, okay? And I was standing right there during worship, second service, and uh, it was March 21st, 2021, about a year after the uh, pandemic shutdowns. And we were worshiping, and the Holy Spirit said to me, the lions are coming to drink. And I was like, whoa, and it brought back that whole vision. I was like, okay, Jesus. And about that time, my friend Megan Lemons, uh, she came up to the microphone. Now, this isn't about Megan. Megan would not want this to be about her. She wants all glory to go to Jesus. She didn't even know about this until today, and she heard it in first service. Okay, so, but when Megan got that microphone and she started to release a word, 
I knew that she was a lion who had come to drink of the river of living water. And she, had, she was releasing her roar. Would you go ahead and play that video of Megan on March 21st, 2021? This morning when we were singing this first song, and it was rise up, rise out of that grave. I felt the Lord saying, there are so many of us that felt like we have been in that grave. That we've been buried in this tomb and it's dark and we've been crying out and we've been saying, God, I need you, but I feel stuck. I'm buried. And this morning, just like Jesus went to Lazarus' grave and he called him by name. He called him by name and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth this morning. God is calling you by name. He's calling you and he wants to burst you out of that tomb. So rise up. Whatever has you stuck, it's not going to be keeping you stuck anymore. So rise up out of that grave. He's calling you. He's saying, my child, I'm here. Come out of that grave. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. She was releasing her roar, and since then I've seen many lions come and drink and release their roar. And there are people here under the sound of my voice, and you are a lion. And it's time for you to do exactly what Megan prophesied, to get up out of that grave, to come and drink of the river of living water again and again and again, and begin to release your roar, begin to worship him unashamed, begin to let it go, because the more you drink of this river, the less you're going to care what people think of you, and the more you're going to want of him because that word that she released it was a revival word the word revive means to cause someone to be restored to consciousness to wake up a sleeper or to bring back someone who has died to life it is a revival word and we are living in a revival season church not just our church not just the churches you hear about on television but God is pouring out his spirit like never before we are living in one of the most exciting times in history we are not on the brink of the billion soul harvest we are wading into the banks of it church are you ready? He is preparing a prodigal feast like this world has never seen. And we better be ready with a ring and a robe because the last place we want to be is on the outside of the party grumbling like the older brother. I'm going to tell you what. Revival is when we allow the river to flow. Too many times in churchianity, we want to throw a pool party. We want to make a little, little pool 
with man's hands and we want to say, God, come and fill it. Don't worry about bringing the people, God. We got this. We know how to make the garden look pretty. We know how they like it. They like it perfect. They don't like anything that freaks them out. So we're going to make it perfect and, and we're going to get them here, Jesus. You don't have to do it. I know you said lift me up and I'll draw them into you, but don't worry. We got it figured out. We're going to have a pool party and do some synchronized swimming and everybody's going to be the same. But God don't flow like that. He is a river, church, and he is wild, and his river flows from the throne. And when we try to hem him in, life dies, and the lions hide. But when we let this river flow through the church, he fills us to overflowing, and it flows out into the world, and it brings life everywhere that it goes. We are in revival. Revival. When this, church, when this river flows, it's divinely spontaneous. It comes when personality cannot account for what is going on. It can't be organized. It's wild. We can only steward it, and we do need to steward it. We can't create the river. All we can do is jump in it. You see, we can, we can steward it, and we need to learn how. But we can't create it. God put man in the garden to steward it. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means today. But God's going to continue to teach us that. But revival is a shift from the church dormant, the church asleep, to the church militant. The church on her feet, ready to take ground against the enemy. And this is the spring when kings go to war. So it is time to get your fight on, church. It's time to get your sword of the spirit and begin to pray. Because we have the dunamis power, the power that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of us, church. We're not scared of nothing. (laughs) Throughout history, we have seen many different revivals, plural. But I want to suggest to us today that there's no such thing as multiple revivals. There is one revival. And it began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when God poured out his spirit on all flesh. And this river started to flow from the throne like never before on the earth. And just like in Ezekiel, God's intention is for this river to never be stopped, to never be dammed up and held back. Its intention is for it to grow and like in Ezekiel, get deeper the further away from the throne room it gets. That is his intention. So I want to say there's one revival, and it has had seasons of waxing and waning. Are you with me? Waxing and waning. We see seasons throughout history where revival waxed. That that means it got more. It came on. Why did it wax? Well, historically, revival seasons happen when there is great darkness on the earth. When it's a time of great moral darkness or hardship. And what happens is people get so hungry for God, they start to pray again. Imagine that. They start to pray again. And they start to desire him and cry out to him. Why? Because they begin to realize that the systems that they put their faith in have failed them. And people get so incredibly sick and tired of darkness. They get so fed up with it. It gets so gross and we're just so tired of it. And we want the light. Don't you want him? Don't you want his purity? Don't you want his goodness? Don't you want his righteousness in your life? Isn't that all that you want anymore? It's all I want, Bob. It's all. His light ruins us for darkness. 
What if we kept that hunger all the time? That's what would allow the river to continue to flow throughout history and to get deeper and deeper and deeper as it goes. Now, revival seasons will wane historically if you check them out. Why do they wane? Why do they start to putter out? Because we get too familiar with the presence of God. We lose our awe and our wonder at the miracles, at the mighty hand of God in our midst. Can you believe it? It's hard to believe, but that's exactly what we do. We get so familiar that we're like, okay, God, we got this. We know how to do this now. We got the formula. We know how to prune the trees. We're going to prune them. You just, you just come fill the, the swimming pool that we make, okay? And we get familiar. Or we fail to steward it. So often you read and it'll say, then a generation arose who did not know God. I don't believe that that's going to be the case for us. I don't believe that that's going to be the case for our children. They are going to come and drink of this river too. The cubs need to come and drink of this river. Amen. Sustained revival. Or we start to put our hand on the ark. Why did the guy put his hand on the ark in the Bible? Because he had had it in his house for years and he'd gotten familiar with it. And he reached out and he touched it and he died. I don't want that to be the case for us, church. If any, if any of these things, if I start to go in this direction, God correct me. Bring back the fear of the Lord in me. Jesus, bring it back to your bride. We want sustained revival. We want this river to flow and flow and flow and change the landscape. Amen. I, uh, I'm no expert on revival. I grew up in a church that experienced tremendous revival in the 80s and 90s. But then through some moral failure, it began to wane. But I like to study revival. Anybody like to study revival in here? And I don't like to listen to those keyboard quarterbacks. You know, the people that all they want to do is critique it and put it in a box and, and, and say, you know, it has to look like this, it has to look like that. But they've never even seen it or been able to manufacture it or anything like that. I like to pe listen to people who actually know what they're talking about. People who've led revivals, people who've been in them, people who've seen multiple ones throughout the years, people like Randy Clark. He knows what he's talking about. I like to listen to Greg Laurie and Che On and Dutch Sheets and Bob Jones, people like this who know something. And what experts think is that there's four main stages of revival, four. Now, don't get it twisted because our mind, because we like to prune the trees, um, <clears throat> in our mind, we go one, two, three, four stages, then it's over, and one follows the next. No, no, this is a river that's meant to continue to flow. All four stages happening at once, all the time, over and over, over and over, getting deeper, glory to glory, amen? You tracking with me? So don't put God in that swimming pool because he's a river. All four stages at once. The first one is prayer. Every revival begins in prayer and is sustained by prayer. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the 120 were in the upper room doing what? Praying. And we get it in our mind, we're going to pray, and then when revival gets here, we can stop praying and we can just flow. No, no, we got to keep praying. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. 
The first great awakening in the mid-1700s, it began because one man, Count Zinzendorf, held a 24-hour prayer service. And out of that 24-hour prayer service, 300 men went to be missionaries. It was called the Moravian Movement. It was the first missionary movement. They went to be missionaries, and they changed the world. 300 people. And people like this, people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and Jonathan Wesley, they all came up under that and were touched by that and went on to change the world. The second great awakening in the 1800s began because pastors all over Europe and America began to plead with their congregations to pray. And they began holding regular prayer meetings. The third great awakening in the late 1800s, one man, one man took out an ad in the paper in New York and he rented a hall and he said, come and pray. Six people showed up to pray and they prayed. And then the next week they prayed and more people came and the next week they prayed and more people came and the next week and the next week until 10,000 people in New York alone were praying on a weekly basis and it spread out from there to the whole world. The Azusa Street Revival in 1906 began with eight men praying. The Asbury Revival, we think it just started. No, no, no. Back in 1905 during a blizzard, that well was dug. There was a men's prayer meeting and in the dormitory, and it spilled out in, onto the campus, and then it went out into the city of Wilmore and changed the city. And ever since then, they've have had waves and seasons of revival. You can look it up year after year after year in Asbury. It's a well. You are a well. North City is a well. Carlinville is a well. Mount Carmel is a well. Spillertown is a well. You are a well. The Hebrides revival, oh my goodness. This just is amazing to me. 1949, two women, aged 84 and 82. Don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me that. They were sisters. One of them was blind. One of them was crippled with arthritis. They couldn't get to the church services at that time in Scotland. But they began praying in their home day and night, crying out to God. And this is what the Lord said to them. He said, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. It kind of reminds you of Isaiah 41, doesn't it? And they began to see visions of young people filling the churches. And that's exactly what God did in that nation. And it swept through that whole nation. Can you believe it? Two women, elderly women praying in their homes. The Jesus People Movement of the 1950s and 60s. Lou Engle was studying revivals. And he said, Jesus, every revival throughout history, you can see where there was a prayer movement that happened before it. But where is the prayer movement of the Jesus People Movement of the 1950s and 60s? You know, these kids that were going to tune in and drop out and turn on and all this stuff. He said, where was the prayer movement? And this is what Jesus said to him. It was in the hearts of millions of praying mothers who were praying for their children to abandon drug culture. Don't tell me your prayers don't matter, mama. Don't tell me. You are mighty. There's a river on the inside of you. The second stage of revival is that God revives his church. That river flows 
through the garden first. The garden's his church. He brings revival to us, and then we minister him to a lost, hurt, and dying world. Amen? It creates this increased fear of the Lord in us. I don't know if you've felt that lately, but that's what we've been going through. An increase in the fear and the awe and the wonder and the surrender to the Lord. It brings great conviction to us. We begin to recognize we're not good. I have no goodness in me. None. My righteousness is filthy racks. But praise God, he gives me his righteousness. And when I come and drink of this river, I drink of that goodness. I drink of that righteousness. And he ruins me for darkness. I don't want it anymore. He begins to bring such conviction to the church that we begin to forgive each other. And we begin to repent to one another. And we we begin to love one another again. We realize we're all in this together. This is team Jesus. And everybody gets to play. Amen. Sue always says that. And it wrecks me because it's true. Nobody's better than anybody else. Amen. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. But he's better than all of us. And we all get him. Isn't he good? Listen. We're going to be tempted to get offended by those he's going to bring in. More on that in a minute. He brings repentance and forgiveness. You see, people were... People were knocking Asbury because they were like, where's the souls being saved? God was reviving his church. And people were repenting. It started out like that. People would say, I repent of fill in the blank. And the church would echo back, Christ forgives you. That's what was happening. It was the river. Can we stop critiquing the river and get in? He brings back a hunger for his holiness. He brings discipline to his church. He brings bold preaching to his church. And he brings grace not to sin. And he fills us with dunamis power. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead he puts on the inside of us. After the 120 were praying in the upper room, what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak as the spirit gave them utterance in other tongues. Are there going to be manifestations? Yes, there is. Are some of them going to be fake? Maybe. Are you brave enough to judge them? I am not. I fear God way too much. I'm telling you what, because I would not want to call something not God when it was God. Because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They spilled out into the street, and some people said, oh, they're drunk. Oh, they're drunk. I don't want to be that guy because that guy missed out. Yeah, they were drunk. They were drunk on new wine. There's going to be manifestations. We have a responsibility to steward this river by stewarding our heart and our, the level of judgment that we have against people. We need to steward our heart to forgive, to believe the best. Amen. To love. 
This river is going to bring miracles and healings, prophetic declarations, visions, dreams, restoration, reconciliation in families. It's going to make us more tender toward the pain of our fellow man. If I spend eight hours on this altar and I get up and I can't love better, I was not communing with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I was communing with some religious spirit that made me feel holy and pious, but it wasn't Jesus. You see... This river is going to allow me, it's going to afford me the opportunity to actually get in somebody's pain. Jesus did. When he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he stopped and he prayed and he cried with Mary and Martha. He cried with them. You know how he could afford to feel and listen to their story before he started working a miracle? Because he knew the outcome. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Church, when we know that God is going to move, that this river is flowing, it affords us the opportunity to listen to somebody's story before we start Shonda Honda in them. Amen. That's what he's going to do through this river. Revival, you see, this river, it keeps us broken. It keeps us broken on the altar. It just, it makes, it ruins us for offense. It ruins us for pride. It ruins us for all that junk. The light ruins you for darkness. The more time you spend in the light, the more your pupils go like this and they get narrow. And you see one way. The more time you spend in the darkness, your, your pupils dilate and get wide and take in all the things. But his light ruins you for that. The more you drink of this river, the more when you start to feel offended, you will hate it. You will not be able to stand it. And you will not be able to talk about it and run that person down. You will be talking to Jesus day and night about it. And you will go to that person and make it right. Because you can't stand for the river not to flow in you. You can't stand for this well to get buried again. Come on, church. Today's the day to let the Lord open the well of your heart and for this river to run through it. When this river runs, people don't want to leave the meetings because it just feels so good to be in his presence. People start having spontaneous meetings because they just want more of the river. They just want more of his presence. They just want more of his goodness. They just want more of him. They just want to taste and see that he is good. He is good, church. Step three, stage three, is that souls are added to the kingdom. You see, this river can't help but flow. That's what, it doesn't stay in the garden. It flows out over the edge to the world and it brings healing wherever it goes. When the 120 prayed in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out in the streets and they began to preach. Preach boldly. Peter preached boldly. He says, this promise is unto you and your children to as many as are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2.39. And what did God do? He added to the kingdom. They lifted him up and he drew them people to himself. 3,000 people added to the kingdom that day. They repented, were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens when we lift up Jesus. He draws all all people to himself. In the Asbury revival, people just came because they thought the building was on fire. Legit. They were like... What's that going on over there at town? Look it up. 
They were like, what's that? It's a fire. Let's go see if everybody's okay. And they came, and it was just a church meeting. There was fire, though. The Holy Spirit, amen. In the Hebrides revival, uh, they were having a meeting one night during the revival. It went on for months, and anyways, there was um, a, a couple miles away, there was this dance with young people happening, and hundreds of young people just got up at the dance and just went to the, the meeting, and they were like, they got to the meeting, they were like, we don't know what we're doing here, we didn't even know what was happening, we all just got up and came. <laughs> Jesus be doing that. <laughs> we need to be prepared. To be offended by the people that God's going to bring in. Are you ready to be tempted to be offended? I'm telling you what, because it's going to be people you did not expect. You think they weren't offended when Jesus called a bunch of nobodies to be his disciples? You think they weren't offended when he had some women following him? Sketchy women. Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany. You think they weren't offended? You think they weren't offended when Paul started leading in the first century church and preaching and being an apostle, he might have murdered their family. And they had to overcome that offense. Come on, church. You think that the people in Samaria were not offended when this woman comes from a well? Oh, buddy, preaching the gospel. Who are you? She was an outcast. She was somebody who wouldn't even go to the well in the morning when the women went to the well. She had to wait until later. She was that level of outcast. And she would come to the well by herself. And she's the one coming into town saying, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. You think they weren't offended? But she was thirsty. She'd been in the valley thirsty. Women were not supposed to ask theological questions, but she has some questions. And when she knew that Jesus was a prophet, she starts asking those questions. And then when she realizes that he has the living water that she is looking for, she asks for it directly. You know, there's some people out there who are hungry for truth. You see, the lie is that they don't want truth. We begin to partner with that lie, that the people in the world don't want the truth. Can I tell you, that is all they want. They want the truth. They were made for the truth. And she wanted it. She said, sir, give me this living water. And when he did, she went straight into her village and started to preach the gospel. And meanwhile, back at the well, Jesus is schooling his disciples because they don't get it. Church, I want to be a disciple that gets it. And he's schooling them. They're like, who's that? And he's like, listen to me. You're going to reap a harvest where someone else has sown. You can read it in John chapter 4. He goes on. He says, hey, I'm going to send you to reap a harvest but somebody else has sown it what's he talking about they're getting ready to go into this village and they're going to reap a harvest of souls but guess who sowed it that woman at the well she had plowed the ground for them are you ready to be offended by those that God is going to use because you're going to be tempted to be offended and we need to get our hearts ready right now that I am not going to be offended by it I am going to obey my father and I'm going to love them the way that he loves them. Bring on the outcasts. Bring on the feast. I'm ready with a ring and a robe. Amen. I don't care what their past is. Come on. Jesus didn't care what mine was. He didn't care what yours was. And he brought you in and look at you now. The last stage in revival 
And by the way, something that God does in revival, when this river's flowing, he empowers women and children to carry the gospel too. It's the other way around when, when it's that, that pool party, you know? Because we're too crazy. We're just too crazy for the pool party. <laughs> we're river folk. <laughs> women and children, we're just too crazy, Sue. <laughs> he, egalitarianism always rises during seasons of revival. And children preach and prophesy during seasons of revival. In the Hebrides revival, that's exactly what happened. They were known for children preaching and prophesying in the nation of Scotland. Come on. The fourth stage is he brings reformation to culture and society. Because this river, it changes individuals. And you see, God, we want things to change from the top down. But God changes things from the bottom up. He changes individuals who change marriages, who change families, who change communities, who change nations. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of nations, church. That's what happens because this river is so mighty. He's strong water. And when he flows, the landscape changes. Amen. He starts to put crazy ideas in people's heads. Like what if we had religious freedom? During the first great awakening, that was the crazy idea that they got in their head. They started to have this increased hunger for religious freedom apart from the Anglican Church of England and it led directly to the American Revolution. In the second great awakening, there was a man named William Wilberforce who came and drank of the river of living water and God started to put a crazy idea in his head. Hmm, maybe people shouldn't own other people was a thought that he had when he drank of the river. And then other lions came to drink of that river and they got the same idea. And then they started getting together. And then they started having meetings. And then they started getting divine revelation from heaven to how to make it work, how to bring about this abolition movement that led to the ending of slavery in Europe and America. God will put crazy ideas in your head that will change society. We don't need to try, try to change it. We need to seek the reformer. And he will, he will give us the blueprints. He will put such an idea in your head that you will not, you'll just, you can't escape it. That's what happened to me and Blake in 2016. Um, I'm gonna tell this story quickly. In 2016, God started putting a wild idea in our heads and God spoke to Blake and he said, I want you to go into the land that I will show you. And Blake said, where's that? And God said, I'll show you. And I said, no, no, really, where's, where is that, Blake? <laughs> he was like, I don't know. God's going to show us, I guess. <laughs> and then on <laughs> August 21st, 2017, I sat on my front lawn and I watched the eclipse by myself. Everybody else was gone. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you out of debt by 2024. And I said, <laughs> you funny, Jesus. <laughs> I said, that's not possible. And he said, with man, it is impossible, but with me, it's possible. And then God put this crazy desire in mine and Blake's heart. We became obsessed with tiny homes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we started watching thousands of hours of YouTube videos <laughs> about tiny homes. 
And uh, it was crazy. And then we felt like God told us to put our house on the market and to list with a very particular uh, lister, uh, real estate lister, and um, our agent, real estate agent. And um, we were like, nah, we'll, we'll put our house on the market, right? We said, we'll put our house on the market, but we're going to put it for sale by owner because, you know, we just don't want to get another person involved because we're probably not going to do this, Jesus. And we're, and we're just going to go ahead and make some Ishmaels right now. <laughs> and so we put it on the market for sale by owner, and of course it didn't sell. Um, because I didn't even put pictures of the inside on it. I just put a picture of the outside. Because <laughs> I loved my house. We'd lived there 20 years. You know, we'd, we'd raised our kids there and everything, and there were a lot of memories. And uh, I didn't want to sell it. And uh, God had to deal with my heart on that. It was a beautiful home. It had this beautiful studio and this beautiful garden that we'd been working on for years. And, you know, it just takes time sometimes to give God your full yes, you know. And God's so patient. Man, but I want to get better at it because it's worth it, church. I can tell you on the other side, it's so worth it. And so... um, Eventually, we did list uh, uh, with the realtor that he told us to list with, and um, we just had all these, like, decisions along the way that we had to make, and we bought this land, and we built a tiny house, and we've done all the things, but all along the way, you know, when you're in a process like this, there's lots of big decisions, and we knew that this was a Kairos moment. This was a thus saith the Lord moment in our life. It wasn't a permissive will kind of moment in our life. It was like God was telling us, you must do this. If you don't do this, you're going to miss something. And so we were like so scared to make a wrong step in a good way that we would continue, we would knock and knock and knock again. Come on, church. Sometimes you've got to knock and knock and knock again. He said, if you knock, the door will be open to you. Amen. And so we were doing that and we would put these fleeces before the Lord. We never done that before, but we started putting these fleeces before the Lord with every single decision that we had to make. And it was always like, God, um, we think you're saying this. If that is you, show us a bald eagle. If it's not, then don't, you know. And every time we would see a bald eagle, and it was it was not the same eagle because it was in different counties, everything. And to the point where one time uh, we were really, I was about to give up. And Blake said, we were driving in the car, and he said, uh, I just feel like God's going to answer us today on this drive home. And at that time, a bald eagle flew out of the sky in front of our car. And he goes, did you see that? And I said, no, it doesn't count. <laughs> and Blake said, well, all right. He said, Jesus, if that was you, just let us see another bald eagle. And then it flew in front of our car again, and I saw it. But then it started to get close to April this month when our contract was going to be up. And we were getting nervous because we didn't have any offers on our house. And we knew we needed like a certain range of price. And so we said, okay, Jesus, this is our final fleece. If we don't get a buyer by April, by whatever price you tell us, because we want to know an exact price. Because what if it's too low? Are we supposed to say yes or no? We don't know, blah, blah, blah. Tell us. If we don't get a buyer by April, then we're just going to um, consider this an Abraham Isaac situation. You're giving us our house back, and we're just going to put the tiny house 
and, and rent it out to try to recoup some of our money. It doesn't make sense with the other words that you gave us about getting out of debt and all that jazz, but that's okay. We're just going to trust you. Okay, we're going to put it on the line. <sighs> Obedience is messy, y'all. It was a head trip, but I'm so thankful for the process because I, I, I got closer to Jesus. I learned how to rely on him for every step of the journey. And so we went apart and we prayed separately and we came back together and God had told us both the same number. And we said, all right, Jesus, you got till April. We know the plan, we know the number. And about a week later, we got an offer on the house and we did the back and forth and all that stuff. And the number that came back was the exact number that God had told us both. Yes. Come on, Jesus. And we talked to the buyer and we said, hey, our, our house has all this stuff wrong with it. We gave him a list of things that need to be repaired and the, and the inspector was coming and all that stuff. And the buyer said, we don't care. We're gonna take it as is. And by the way, uh, we're just ready whenever you are. So whenever you get out, we can move the closing up. That we close three days early. Amen. And the whole time, you know, oh, and by the way, we love our tiny house. Some of y'all are like, I hope Jesus doesn't ask me to move in a tiny house. <laughs> we love it. It's really beautiful and peaceful, and I've never felt so free in my life. And um, I'm not saying that's because of going tiny, but it's because I know that I'm where God wants me to be. And I don't, for this season, I don't know what it's gonna to lead to, but I know that that's what, what he wanted us to do. And it's the joy of the Lord to hide a thing and it's the joy of kings to go and search it out. He's gonna put crazy ideas in your head. He put a crazy idea in the rich young ruler's head. He said, I know you've kept all the commandments, but now I want you to go and sell everything and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. But really, it wasn't all the possessions that he had, it was the possessions that had him. God doesn't care about how much you have, he cares about what has you. He doesn't care about what, how much you own, but what owns you. Church, is there anything today that you would be unwilling to lay down in exchange for Jesus? There's nothing. Come on, can you say in your heart that there is nothing that I would not give up for you, Jesus? You are worth everything. The more you come and drink from this fountain, the less you care about anything except for him and his presence. It ruins you, church. The more you drink from this river, the more your heart begins to say, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will say whatever you want me to say. I will love whoever you want me to love. I will forgive whatever you want me to forgive. And I will surrender and submit to you, Jesus. Jesus is everything. We must keep him at the center of it, church. It's not about seeking the lost. We seek Jesus. 
And then he moves through us, leads us to minister the gospel where he wants us to minister it. We don't seek manifestations. We seek Jesus and we let him move as he wants to move in us and through us and in others and through others. We don't seek cultural reformation. We seek the reformer. And he is a river that changes the landscape. When we give him our unconditional yes, we steward the river. We steward the yes in our heart. We surrender more. And then he puts us before kings and puts the words in our mouth. He gives us the blueprints. We don't seek revival. We seek the one who revives, the one who is the life and the light of men. You are a lion. And maybe you've been in hiding for too long, but today is your day. If you think that I'm talking to you, I am. I am talking to you. Lions, it's time to come and drink of the river again. We should never stop drinking of this river. I, the more I drink of it, the thirstier I get for him. The more I want him. Is that true of you? Come on, you've been in hiding too long, lion. And it's time to drink of the river and release your roar. Because that's another thing that we need to steward is our testimony. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy that what he's done for me, he will do for us another that is the river flowing through me some of us have our wells covered up with dirt we've let people put that dirt and stop up our well and stop the river from flowing and the way that you get it to flow is you start to release your roar tell your testimony tell it to your spouse tell it to your kids tell it to your friends tell it to the checker at Walmart tell it to your family come on some of us can't let the river flow when we're with our family because we we won't tell them who we are, that Jesus has changed us, changed us. It's time to let your roar out. You've been in hiding for too long. You've been in shame for too long. You've been in sickness for too long. You've been in unforgiveness and offense for too long. Come on, you've been in low self-worth for too long. Come on, lions. It's time to come and drink of the river. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Go ahead and play for just a minute. Go ahead and play. Jesus. We want more of you, Jesus. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty today? Jesus said to come and drink if you are thirsty. On the day of the feast, on the last day, he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.